ఓం నమో భగవతే వాసుదేవాయ ఓం నమో భగవతే వాసుదేవాయ ఓం నమో భగవతే వాసుదేవాయ ట్రాన్స్లేషన్ ది జిగంటిక్ విరాట్ పురుష్ నోన్ అస్ హిరణమయ లివ్ ఫర్ వన్ థౌజండ్ సెలెస్టియల్ ఇయర్స్ ఆన్ ద వాటర్ ఆఫ్ ద యూనివర్స్ and all the living entities lay with him apart after the lord entered each and every universe as the gabhutakshay vishnu half of the universe was filled with water the cosmic manifestation of the planetary systems outer space etc which are visible to us is only one half of the complete universe before the manifestation takes place and after the entrance of vishnu within the universe there is a period of 1000 celestial years all the living entities injected within the womb of the mahatattva are divided in all universes with the incarnation of babadakshay vishnu and all of them lie down with the lord until brahma is ma is the first living being within the universe and from him all other demigods and living creatures are born mano is the original father of mankind and therefore in sanskrit mankind is called manusha humanity in different bodily qualities is distributed throughout the various planetary systems as i many times quoting i think those of you heard my lectures regularly you heard me quote this one interesting quote proper gives in a purport in the fourth canto of bhagavatam the krishna consciousness means to see as krishna sees panoramic view of the universe Now panorama means you see you can see everything you seen from above from a distance of course that's only one kind of view because if you see a panoramic view you also don't see in such detail panoramic view actually that's only two dimensional if you see from a height you don't see the the depth you don't you mean you can't see very clearly what is the difference between a 10 story building and a 2 story building but you see everything so of course krishna sees everything from above and he also sees everything from inside because he is andantarasta paramanuchayantarastam he's within the atoms also so he sees from outside he sees from inside and he sees from all angles sahasraksha sahasrapat sarvata pani padam tat sarvatokshi shiromukam these descriptions are there from purusha sukta bhagavad gita now krishna he has many thousands of eyes he sees from all directions krishna sees everything so here we are hearing about the gigantic form of the lord the panoramic vision the lord he has the purusha avatars purush 
Why they are called Purush avatars? Because they are concerned with creation. They are concerned with creation of the material world, which is called Prakriti. So Purush and Prakriti combined makes creation. Purush means the male. Prakriti means female. Or in this case means the Lord and the material energy. So these three Purusha avatars, Mahavishnu, Karan Dakshay Vishnu, then Gavo Dakshay Vishnu, Kshira Dakshay Vishnu, these are the three Purusha avatars. Means the Prakriti cannot create independently. Female cannot produce independently. Male is required. Male injects the seed and then within the womb of material nature everything develops. So it looks as if the mother is the is more important. Everything is going on within the womb of the mother. But actually the creation is incited by the seed of the father. That's why in Vedic culture, one reason, the, the child is considered the child of the father more than of the mother. You see what is the, the family line is coming down by the father's line. You trace your family back by the father, not by the mother's line. And the, the child is considered the product of the father that is incubated in the womb of the mother. In, in English language also, Prabhupada would also make that point. Nature. People say nature. They think that nature is the cause of all causes. Everything is coming about because of nature. They think nature is God. But then Prabhupada would ask the question, whose nature? Nature is not independent. Nature is dependent upon the maintain, creator and maintainer. So this material nature, that is dependent upon Krishna. And here we're getting the description of how exactly all these things work. It's what we would call the subject matter of science to discuss these things. Of course, it's a transcendental science because it's concerned with Krishna. All is, actually, all of sciences should be transcendental. Only modern science, they have... Science means the study of nature, but they have unnaturally divorced science from its roots, which means Krishna is the root of all beings. So unnaturally they have uh, declined to study the root, and they're trying to find out what is the cause of everything, but refusing to accept that the cause of everything is Krishna. It's a very strange thing. In the very beginning, of the, in the modern scientific process, the first premise is that we will not, we were only studying material nature, we won't accept any divine cause. And then when they're looking for the, and then they're trying to find the cause of everything, but they won't accept that the cause is divine. It's, it's absolutely illogical. It's just like, uh, <laughs> If it's known that someone is the son of a certain father, but you refuse to accept it, and then you are going around trying to find out who is, it, who is the father. 
But in the beginning you rejected the actual father and then you're trying to find out actually who's the father. And you won't find because it's not possible. If you refuse to accept the fact, then how, will you ex- how can you possibly establish falsity as fact? This is what they're doing or trying to do. They're, they're trying to fool everybody that actually there's no God in control. But it doesn't work. You see that we have so many generations of now since the so-called enlightenment. The enlightenment took place in Europe in which they reject they reject it. This practically started from the time of the Renaissance. It's a it's a period social historians call the period practically from around fourteen hundred through especially and then in the seventeen hundred like this for about five hundred years. Four to five hundred years after the Renaissance, they call Renaissance, because up to that time everyone just believed in God, which they considered wasn't very enlightened. So after that they had the age of enlightenment, in which they rejected the transcendental cause. And this is in Europe, this is all going on. And the age of reason, they brought in reason to try and explain everything, and especially during the 20th century, and now 21st century has begun. But the education has been this materialistic, so-called rationalistic, reasonable, atheistic education. But still we find in countries where this kind of education has been ongoing for so many years, that still many people, they're not convinced by it. And they're interested to understand the transcendental cause. And we find that in America and Europe and so many countries where people are supposed to be very advanced scientifically and technologically, yes, the societies are very advanced, if that's what you call advancement. But you find people, uh, so many of our books are being distributed there. People are, in there, they want to know about this. And you'll find, of course, it may not be a very advanced transcendentalism, but people, they believe in God. Not everyone. A lot of people don't believe in God. But especially in America, most, the vast majority of the population, at least one way or another, at least definitely, most people, if you say to them, do you believe in God? They'll say yes. In America. In England, they'll hesitate. And they'll say, they'll say, well, kind of. Uh, depends what you mean. They'll pick up some. They won't out. Very few people in England will out and out say, I believe in God. At the same time, they're taking our books. They're taking so many books. So, if this, if the uh, non-transcendental philosophy is actually a fact, And why is it that people who are supposed to be well-educated in the scientific method, they don't believe? They're they're not convinced by it. That in England, if you say, if you say to people that, well, all this science is bogus and cheating, that they'll agree. But uh, most people will agree. But uh, if if you say about God, then they're still... They're not so convinced. 
But the point I'm making here is that even despite so much scientific education, so-called scientific education, the people are not convinced by it. They state very just like I was on the plane earlier this week, last week, and looking through the newspaper is about the only time I'll ever see. So they had this this article by I saw this Kushwan Singh, so I thought I'd look and see because he's a well-known atheist in India. Well-known means he he talks a lot as if he knows everything. So he was saying about this idea to make degree, degrees for studying astrology, and he was saying how it's it's completely bogus and useless. And just they talk very loud. They don't have anything. Uh, they don't have anything to substantiate what they say. But simply they they make their point very strong, as if it's a as if it's a proven fact that astrology is completely useless and the, that there's no god. As if it's uh, as if it's an axiomatic fact. Then, if it's an axiomatic fact, then why is it that intelligent people? take all these things very seriously. So many intelligent people. It's not that Kushwan Singh is the only intelligent person in India, although he seems to think he is. Actually, he's not intelligent. He's a fellow. He's a rascal. Intelligence means to go beyond the materialistic way of thinking. But that they cannot do. They're like fish in a bowl. This is a Western example. Because here they don't keep fishes in bowls. Probably they'll start when they discover in the West that people keep fish in bowls, they'll start to do in India also. But it's a common thing in the Western countries that they have a glass bowl, shaped like this. Bowl, you could understand, it's something like that. And they keep a fish, a gold fish inside, because it looks like one or two fish. Very common in the West. So, what does the fish know? What is the intellectual achievement of the fish. In, in, the, uh, in Indian culture with the Kupamandukyanyai, the example of the frog in the well. It's a similar example. In the Western, in English they give the example of the goldfish in a bowl. How much does he, how much can he know? What does he know? He knows I could, the bowl is this wide, so he swims from here all day. You'll see he swims from here to here, and then he'll go up and down a little bit, and, and, but he's stuck within the, you know, he can, the water level, the water, there's this much water, and his whole universe consists of this much. And he moves around in that all day. Maybe there's one or two plants, so he negotiates the plants, goes round and round. And this is the, the life of a goldfish, the happy life of a goldfish. Goldfish ecstasy. So, in the same way, the frog in the well, what does he know? He thinks he knows so much. But his, his universe is very limited. So, similarly, the so-called scientists, they think they know so much. But they're limited. They're in a very small space. Of course, they're thinking we're looking through our big telescopes, microscopes, and so many scopes. But in so many ways their intelligence is limited. So, 
Actually, the people who are more, people who think they're intelligent, they're very much convinced by all this science and so many things. Those who are more intelligent, they think beyond it. What is all this? Why should we believe this? Why should I believe that, as we are taught, that life is simply a product of matter? Those who are more intelligent, they think more deeply. Actually, you see, Prabhupada, he was preaching. He was giving knowledge of Krishna, but not in a sentimental way. He was appealing to people's intelligence. The God has given you intelligence, now use it to understand him. Mostly you'll find the religious preachers, even, or maybe especially Vaishnava preachers in India, they mostly appeal to sentiment. Just recently I was in Patna, we had some program. And mostly the local ladies coming and they're telling stories of Gopal running away from his mother, stealing the butter, so many things. But uh, it's appealing to sentiment. Now in one sense there's nothing wrong with it. But on the other hand, how many... No one is convinced. No one's faith in Krishna. No one develops their faith in Krishna. They're not even the housewives who come there. Their life doesn't change in the slightest. I was telling the people, you're all coming here and listening to this. It's some different kind of entertainment for two days. And then after that, you'll go back to the normal entertainment news on TV. Even after this program, you'll be going and watching TV because the program finishes early. And you're used to watching TV up till 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock at night. So you'll be going, so what is the meaning? You'll all be saying, Jai Jai Shri Shri Radhe Sham. And then after that you'll go and watch some, you know, some stupid thing on TV. So what is the meaning of your Jai Radhe Sham? It's meaningless. It's that you, don't, you have no idea who Radhe Sham you know, you just You're listening to some stories, some, some nice kind of story, that's all. So Prabhupada was appealing to people's intelligence. That yes, you're talking your science, but what if you take away all the big long words, what is it that you're actually speaking? You're actually saying life has come from matter, which is nonsense. Because there's no, there's no evidence. You're saying science means to show evidence, but there's no evidence. Whereas we have evidence that life comes from life. You'll find that only living organisms produce living organisms. You won't find that a dead woman gives birth to a child. I mean, there may be cases, rare cases, where a woman who's eight or nine months pregnant is in an accident and then she dies and then immediately if there's a, there's a caesarean operation, they do that can be. The child is born even after the mother has died. But it's but if it's if you delay too long, then the, 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 because the, the body is dead, the mother's body is dead, then the child's body, which is dependent on that, will also not remain. Life comes from life. We see it every day. We never see that life comes from death. That's why Prabhupada he said that our VI scientists they should hold big conferences all over the world challenging the scientists that the chicken is a better scientist than you. Because you are talking of producing life in future. 
But the chicken is giving one egg every day. So what you are talking about, the chicken is doing. So for all your research, you can't do what the chicken is doing. Prophet said we should hold big conferences all over the world, challenging two things. You didn't go to the moon, and the chicken is a better scientist than you. To date, you haven't done it. You should do it. Prabhupada, he was very strong on these points. He would always challenge. You have not gone to the moon. You are simply bluffing. You can't go. The moon is further away than the sun. How is Prabhupada so convinced? Because he has faith in Shastra. He knows Shastra is knowledge. What these scientists are talking, it's simply, it's laughable. Just ridiculous. What was that? I was reading something also. I was reading in the Encyclopedia Britannica. Such a respected source of knowledge. I was reading about humor. Humor, of course, that in medicine you also say humors, right? The humors of the body. But it means like comedy. So I just wanted to, what, how do they explain this? How can they explain this according to evolutionary, how are they going to explain? What is the reason? How can they, so they say their theory is that originally man was a, a very aggressive hunting type. But then later on, they evolved into agricultural type. So they, so hunting means they had all this extra aggression. So then, by evolution, they evolved in such a way that humor is, was an outlet for their aggression. That they can, you can laugh at someone, but you don't actually harm them. You know, now how did this take place by you know, they're trying to say that this took place just by random chance. That someone, someone was born who had some genetic disorder that he started laughing at others. And then he survived better than the others who were very aggressive. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. This is the Encyclopedia Britannica saying that the laughter evolved. It's an evolutionary process. But actually, the more aggressive ones they would kill the non-aggressive ones. It could be, if you accept evolutionary theory, that would be possible if there was someone regulating it. That, that now you have come to the stage of being agri agriculturists. So this excessive aggression is not required. Okay, now change the design a bit. If it is possible by, by design, but it's not possible by chance, it's ridiculous. Even uh, Darwin himself is saying, the eyes of a peacock frustrated. The eyes on the tail of a peacock. Can you sit like this? They frustrated Darwin. How are you going to explain that? According to evolutionary theory. And there are so many things that Origins magazine gives that very nicely. How, what is that? There's some shrimp. How they take one grain of sand. You remember reading that? And they put it inside and this keeps some balance. I can't remember exactly how it could have evolved. 
So, Prabhupada was pointing out that they're just talking nonsense. It's very big, long words, very learned, but it's all nonsense. Simply to be learned doesn't mean that you're intelligent. You see people, they, they study so many things. In the universities you'll find they're studying so many useless things. You may be learned in a subject which is completely meaningless. Just like I saw now in university in England, they have football studies. You can go to university and study about football, about who's the most successful team and the history of football and the effect of football. Actually, it's a very major factor in, in Western society. You'll find in the newspaper that earthquake in China, 20,000 people killed. And, the, and then they'll have a big, big thing, the, the latest football match. They'll have much more on the football game. Than they if, the, if people are killed in an earthquake in China, they'll have... I saw actually once, I was in, I was in England, I saw the news where they said that another, another 20,000 people killed in Rwanda, in some country in Africa, they were killing people like anything. So it came this much in the newspaper. And then the football section is like five pages of the paper. This match and that match and then someone gets transferred to another club for 50 million pounds. They're spending, because someone can kick a ball, you get, they get paid 50 million. I mean, it's just the amount of money we just can't imagine. So now you can become very learned in football studies. You can get a degree in university. Be learned, I mean, you have to study, work hard, get your degree to find out who is the most highly paid footballer, who is the most successful, and they have psychology of football, and so many. But what is the actual subject that you're studying? It's, of, it's actually meaningless. People are running around after a ball. I mean, it has no particular meaning. It doesn't, it doesn't really make any difference to anything. But they have ascribed importance to it. And even in science, you'll find they're studying different species of butterflies living in the Amazon jungle. And this is considered science. They'll go on an expedition and the university will sponsor them and give them thousands of dollars to go into the, to go into the jungle and study butterflies. But what is the what is the point? What is the ultimate point? They're missing the point. Here in Bhagavatam we have study of the universe, but in relation to Krishna. There's no if you that inclination to study, alright. You study. But it should be in relation to Krishna. Otherwise it's study and find out what is the ultimate meaning. Where has everything come from? How is everything going on in relation to God? That's why Prabhupada, he, uh, he gave that verse from the Bhagavatam as the motto of the Bhaktivedanta Institute. Srishtasya Suktasya. How does that verse begin? Srishtasya Suktasya Chabudhidati. I can't. What's the first line? Anyone know? Idang Yoho. 
knowledgeable they have ascertained that the ultimate purpose of all austerities intellectual studies of Vedic recitations the ultimate purpose of all these activities is yaduttama shloka gunarnavarnanam to glorify Uttama Shloka, <coughs> Krishna. To glorify means also according to the Parampara system, Gunanavarana. You find out what are his qualities. What are his qualities? How he's manifesting the material universe. This is a quality of God. So you, you find out. How will you find out? You study Sriman Bhagavatam. And if you want to do research, you can do research also. The universe is very vast for you. The universe is so vast, but from the Bhagavatam we understand that how insignificant it is in relationship to Krishna. Here we find in this verse is described. The Virat Purush known as Hiran may live for one thousand celestial years on the water of the universe. One thousand celestial years. Celestial year means that one day is six months. One day the demigods is six months by our calculation. So you can imagine 1,000 celestial years. So how great Mahavishnu is. All the universes, they come out of his body with his breathing out and go back in with his breathing in. The universal, the, the amount of time the universe are existing is huge. We, we can't imagine but for Mahavishnu, it's tiny amount of time. And all the universes, they're within his body. The universe is so vast. But they all go within his body. Yeah. What is that? Yanishvasitam. Yeah. How does that verse go? Hmm? From Govindamadi Purusham. How does that go? That means the Brahmas. All the Brahmas. Within the Brahman, the egg-shaped universe is overseen by one Brahma. There are many, many. Jagarandanathaha. Adhara Shakti Mavalamya Paranswamurti Govinda Madhi Purushamta Mahamajana. This describes Govinda as the Adhara Shakti. This Mahavishnu is the form of the Lord, the, the Murti of the Lord, Param Swamurti, it's non different from Govinda, who accepts the task of holding the universe. He, he keeps the universe. 
within him. And they come out from the, you see, the paws of the hairs you can't see, but the universes are coming out. How big is Mahavishnu? How great. And then Mahavishnu, he is one Kalavishesha of Govinda. What's that verse where it's stated Kalavishesha? It's also describing Mahavishnu. Anyway, elsewhere, let's describe Mahavishnu. Is simply a, an expansion for a particular purpose of Krishna, Govinda. So here we are reading second canto of Bhagavatam, how he's creating, overse- overseeing the creation. And in Baroda, in the five chapters of Rasalila, Govinda Vari Purusham Tamahambhajam. So all this is meant to understand, to bring us to that point. How great is that? How great is he you cannot imagine, you cannot measure. His greatness, actually his greatness, there's more to his greatness than simply how he's creating the world. Even that we cannot understand. But the far beyond that is he's blowing his flute, attracting the gopis. He's given this is the transcendental glories of Krishna. The gopis, they're not calling Krishna that. Oh, creator of the universe. No, he is. Mother Yashoda is chastising Krishna. That, why you're feeding the monkeys? I didn't feed the monkeys. Then who fed them with all the butter? He who made the monkeys, he fed the monkeys. Krishna is speaking. She can't understand. He who made the monkeys is feeding the monkeys. In other words, he's saying Bhagavan is feeding the monkeys. He is Bhagavan. So he's not lying. He said, He who fed the monkeys, he's also. He who made the monkeys is feeding the monkeys. It's true. But his mother can't understand. So here we're reading how Krishna is making the monkeys. Not Darwin's, Darwin's theory, he has another theory. Monkeys came about. My grandfather was a monkey, Darwin. My great-grandfather, he was a monkey. But no, Krishna, he is created. He is behind everything. Hare Krishna. Any more discussion about this? You should go. Now you are going out to distribute these books. Do it. Distribute lots of books. Let people read these books. Get the right idea. Their whole life they are watching TV and then they go to school and how much garbage is in their heads. It's, it's just amazing, these books. If they have the effect that they have, that people are so much indoctrinated, so much nonsense. From the day that even before they're born, their mothers are watching TV. They get it, even in the womb, they're getting so much nonsense. All their life, what to speak of even previous lives, they're getting so, life after life, just nonsense. And then these books come. So, 
given the books, distribute lots of books, let them take the books. And another thing, I'd just like to tell you as you, book distributors are here, I was just reading, one message came on come, that one devotee, Englishman, came to Bombay, then he was going with, he was doing book distribution in the local trains. So in England he's been preaching to the Gujarati community there, so he learned Gujarati in England, an Englishman. So you're all here, living in Gujarati. Of course, I'm not learning Gujarati either. At least you should learn Hindi. So he was distributing books in the train, he was giving the books, and some man gave it back and raised his hand. So then he said very loudly so everyone could hear, he said in Gujarati, because he saw the man, he must have had Gujarat Samachar or for some reason he could understand his Gujarati. Of course, in some parts of Bombay most of the population is Gujarati. So he said that, you see, people they have enough money for women and meat, but they don't have money for books about the Absolute Truth. Everyone was shocked and then well, he sold all his books. Even he was chastising, but the fact that he was a white-skinned person speaking their language, and he took all the books, the whole carriage, everyone took books. So, your preaching will increase a thousand times. You learn the local language, you should do that. You must do it. Even if you sit and you don't do anything else for two months, you should learn. Actually, you don't need to sit. You can do it. You're out there among Gujarati people all the time. You just speak. Just speak all the time. Every day you can learn. Within one month you can all be speaking nicely. If you just do it, that's all. You just start speaking to people and you, you learn. Learn three or four words every day. And then you can learn it. It's not difficult. You just have to do it. You see this Pandit here. He's learning English and Hindi. All these Russians, of course you've all learned English, but now you should go on and learn, at least learn Hindi. And if you're staying only in Gujarat, then you should learn Gujarati also. Indian people do it. You see, the people that come from South India to here, they get posted here. They all learn. If they don't know, they'll learn Hindi. Or that uh, Gita Govinda, she was from South India, but she knows, she knew Hindi, but she came to Gujarat. And then she learned Gujarati, because she, all the neighbors that all speaking Gujarati, so she picked it up and learned. Savya Sachi went to Tamil Nadu. Tamil is a very difficult language, completely different to Hindi. But he learned Tamil. You should do. There was one uh, incident, uh, one devotee, he had been, he'd been in, in Davan for some years. He was the temple president there. He'd been in India for about five years. And then Prabhupada asked, so you know Hindi? He said, no. why not? You've been here five years. No, no, you should, you should have learned by now. So you should at least enough to distribute your books. And if you speak more, that will be, be very good. It will be very, very helpful for your preaching. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Srimad Bhagavad